peace of Christ be with you. Welcome to worship here at Westminster. We're glad that you're with us. If you have trouble hearing through the muffle of the mask, uh, just know that there's a, there's a draft of the sermon out on the stool, so you can follow along if that makes it easier. Otherwise, as we settle into this place and people continue to stream in, let's just slow down. Take a few deep breaths. Allow your awareness to expand to recognize the presence of the living spirit with us right here and right now. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. I invite you to stand in body or spirit for the call to worship. Praise for the new day. Praise for the new day. Praise for the new day. Praise for the chance to start again. Let us join together in hymn number 511.
You may be seated. Welcome. Welcome to worship at Westminster. What a joy it is to be together. If you're visiting with us, a special welcome to you. If this perhaps is your first time back with us after many, many months, welcome to you. It is good to be here together. I want to offer a special invitation to join us for our in-gathering brunch after worship. This is an annual brunch sponsored by our Congregational Life Commission. They weren't able to host the brunch last year, so they are extra excited to host you this year. Following worship, there are tables set up here in the Frost Garden, out in the playground area, so we can all eat outside and visit together. So hope you will join us for that immediately following worship. Let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have revealed your wisdom throughout the ages. You have shown us what is good and true, and your spirit has been with us throughout. Often fall short of the ideals we espouse. As a religion, we can be viewed as hypocritical, having acted counter to the spirit of our teachings. Help us as individuals and as a people live into the best ideals of our tradition that we might not only honor Jesus, strive to more closely emulate him. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. Even when we fall short, God continues to love us abundantly and unconditionally. For in Christ we are forgiven. In Christ God's mercy is new each and every day. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now I invite you who are gathered today to share with each other. Share your joys and your concerns so that we can be in prayer with and for one another. I have a couple to start us off first. Certainly we all <clears throat> are aware of the 20th anniversary of 9-11 that was yesterday. Rob's actually going to talk about that more in his sermon in just a little while, but certainly wanted to acknowledge that during our time of joys and concerns to continue to hold in our prayers the many, perhaps all of us really, who were affected by that day. Second, offer prayers for our beloved Sexton Jesus Posada, one of his very best childhood friends died recently in El Salvador. And Jesus is actually in El Salvador this weekend so he can attend the memorial for his good friend. So let's keep Jesus and his family in our prayers. Others that you'd like to share with us, joys or concerns. Yeah, Tila. I'd like to lift up the neighbors who are with us 
So Tila lifts up specifically our teenagers going back to school, quite a difficult time for many of them. So just holding them in our prayers. Yeah, Bob. Amen. So, Bob offering prayers of joy and gratitude for the life of his stepmother. She just recently died, but sounds like an important figure in your life, Bob. Yeah. Joe? So uh, Joe offering uh, prayers of concern. There were a series of fires set last week in Healdsburg, one very near to Joe's house. Um, so offering prayers, but also for the person who was setting those fires, that they may get the help that they need. Yeah. Others? Yeah, Carol. Absolutely. I missed her name. What was her name? Donna Bryan, a friend of Carol's, a member of Carol's uh, home church back in Kentucky who has been fighting COVID for over a month and is not doing well. So we continue to hold her in our prayers. Did I see some over here? Yeah, Betty. Oh, family and friends visiting from Texas, welcome. It is good to have you with us today. Anyone else? All right. Let's have just a few moments of quiet as we hold these and all of our prayers, and then I will lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let us pray. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people, and we offer you thanks. And hear us now as together we pray the prayer that your son Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father. Well, I have been looking forward for some time to having a choir. <laughs> and I have acquired a small choir for today. Uh, and that we might, uh, as we are gathering together in our in-gathering Sunday, I envisioned singing this hymn, Rise Up and Sing. 
and I sort of envisioned that we'd be able to surround you with singers, but we'll just keep our distance up here, as, as we are wont to do in this time. And we're going to ask you to be part of the choir on the third verse of this hymn. So if you want to look in the hymnal at page 319, I, I give you that as a reference in part because it, it's very difficult to enunciate through layers of fabric for you to understand the text. So you'll be able to better understand what we're singing in the first two verses. And we'll sing through the bridge, which is on the second page. And then it doubles back really fast. <laughs> be ready for verse three, and I will turn around and cue you to rise up and sing with us.
Amen. I'd like now to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us today to join me here at the front. It is good to see you all. Good morning. So I have been thinking recently about how neat it is that we are so unique and different from one another. We each have things we're good at. We each have things we're not good at. We each have interests that really excite us. We each have things that we don't really like at all. How neat that each one of us is so unique and special and different. But what that means is that sometimes we might be you know, needing to do something or needing to try something that might be difficult for us. It may not be difficult for someone else, but it might be difficult for us. And we may be looking for a little courage maybe, maybe a little help, a little strength from God or from a loved one. And I was thinking about that when I came across this book. It's called When You Are Brave. And I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but I do want to read you a part of it. Because I was remembering that Jesus once said that we are each lights of the world. And Jesus was encouraging us to shine our God light in the world. You know, share our light with everyone around us. And I was thinking about that as I read this book. So I want to read you just a piece of it. And so the book realizes that sometimes the world can seem too big, too loud, too hard, too much. Right? Sometimes life is a little difficult. And in those times... Here's what the author suggests. If you close your eyes and breathe, you will see it, shining its light in the dark, warm, steady, safe. Your light. It might be small to start, just a spark, but you can turn it into a flame. Picture that light in your mind, then imagine it becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Look at this girl's light is starting to light up the whole countryside. So big it brightens your heart, fills your fingers, and flows to your toes. That God light that is inside each and every one of us. So though we are very different and very unique and each of us special, each one of us has that light inside of us. So I encourage you to think about how that light might shine this week, how you might share your God light with somebody else, right? We're going to talk about that a little bit more in Sunday school. Now, before we leave, I want to give you all some directions because we're going in a lot of different places today, all right? So if you are in fifth grade or younger, and this is for the parents of those in fifth grade or younger too, we are headed upstairs into our multi-purpose room, and our class is going to be up there. So when you come to get your child, it'll be upstairs. If you are in middle school, you are going to be downstairs in the youth room that's right past the bathrooms. If you are in high school, you are also going to be upstairs in some of our new rooms up there. And if I just totally confused you, that's okay. Jeff and I are going to be standing out there to help everyone get to where they need to go. All right? Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of God surround you. The 
first scripture reading for today comes from 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 3 to 11. Listen for what the Spirit might be saying to us today. Paul writes, Blessed be God the Father, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation who consoles us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are abundant for us, so also our consolation is abundant through Christ. If we are being afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. If we are being consoled, it is for your consolation, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we are also suffering. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our consolation. We do not want you to be unaware, sisters and brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, so that we would rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God who rescued us from so deadly a peril, we will, will continue to rescue us. And on this one, we have set our hope that this one will rescue us again as you also join in helping us by your prayers, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. And the second reading comes from John's Gospel, the seventh chapter, verses 53 to chapter 8, verse 11. Then each of them went home, while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, making her stand before all of them. They said to him, teacher. This woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses, command, uh, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up. And said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? 
She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Before I continue with the sermon, it does seem appropriate, as Bethany alluded to earlier, that we first pause in reverence, given the passing of the 20th anniversary. That's hard to imagine, hard to believe, isn't it? The 20th anniversary of the attack on the World Trade Center and the terror and the suffering of that day and in the days that followed, the days that turned into weeks and months and years, and the response of a 20-year war and another war in Iraq and the loss and the suffering of all of that as well. So let us in the quiet pray, honoring the dead, honoring the affected. Let us pray for peace, the work of which does not simply come at wartime, but should be a constant effort of cultivation. And let us pray for people to treat one another and indeed all creation as having been touched by God, which of course all creation has. So will you join me in a few moments of such prayer? Let us pray. God, where we have been shaken, steady us. Amen. It's hard to transition. Better to just say that. Did you know that second reading that I read to you from John's Gospel almost certainly doesn't belong to the original version of John's Gospel? Scholars are essentially in full agreement about that because of both thematic evidence and textual evidence. It's not in the earliest manuscripts. Now, I say that to you not to downplay either the importance or the veracity of the story. Almost certainly that story belonged to the early oral tradition. And quite the contrary, it was deemed to be so important that later scribes knew they had to insert it into the text, and this seemed the least offensive place to do so. So that's probably why it appears here. And it is indeed an important story, a powerful interaction, although one that deserves some unpacking, for it's, it's a bit of a strange encounter. Jesus is teaching in the temple the people have come to the temple, they've come to the holy city of Jerusalem because it's a feast day. And at that time, you came to the temple in Jerusalem for feast days. It was called the Feast of the Tabernacles, other times referred to as Sukkot, an, an autumn Thanksgiving festival. Incidentally, it's also referred to as the Feast of the Ingathering. 
pretty fitting for the day in which our church has an in-gathering. And I assure you, I was thinking of that when I chose this text several months ago. I mean, I really had that in mind. So the people had come to hear Jesus teach. And those who would wish Jesus ill came with a different intention in mind. Certain scribes and certain Pharisees thought they might catch Jesus. So they bring to him a woman who has been caught in the act of adultery. Well, if they caught her in the act, I'm wondering why they brought only her, but that perhaps is a different sermon. <laughs> but they bring her to Jesus because it is in the law that someone caught in that act should be stoned to death, and they want to see what Jesus will do. And what Jesus does is get down and start playing in the sand. He writes something on the ground. And what he wrote is either... Uh, unsaid or un, certainly unknown, or it's been lost. We don't know. So typically when we retell the story, we just skip to the next spoken line, which has now become famous. Let the one who is without sin cast the first stone against her. And then Jesus gets down and starts writing on the ground again. What is going on there? All kinds of theories persist. Uh, some seem to be more grounded in evidence, some more maybe in imagination, some meaningful, some confounding. Andrew Harvey, who's a Christian mystic I've quoted in here recently a, a couple of times actually, uh, offers this interpretation of that curious moment. He says uh, in his book, The uh, Son of Man, The Mythical Path to Christ, his writing in the sand, Jesus' writing in the sand, symbolizes the temporariness and the fragility of all human laws. Even those supposedly inspired by God and ordained by the prophets. They are no more, Jesus' action implies, no more than his own scribbling in the sand that a gust of wind can efface. To live by such perishable transient laws is absurd, says Harvey. And to kill in their name is tragic. Harvey's interpretation sort of carries an Eastern sensibility that you may have encountered in your own spiritual quest, this notion of impermanence. Maybe you've, I don't know if anybody's ever seen one of the intricate and beautiful sand mandalas that you'll see Buddhist or Hindu monks making. You've ever seen this? Really incredible designs they'll make in colored sand and you just want to save it forever. And what do they do? They sweep it away, or they let the wind to take it, or they whoosh, blow it out themselves. As to practice the art of accepting the impermanence of all things. Maybe that's what Jesus is doing. Maybe, maybe that's the meaning. Or maybe it's not that the law is passing away and is fragile and temporary, but rather that the manifestation or the embodiment of the law enacted here somehow falls short. And it turns out, the setting for this encounter might be a clue for us. The feast of the tabernacles, of the ingathering, you might say. During my continuing education this summer, I came across an interpretation of this story that pointed out that at the Feast of the Tabernacles, one of the texts that would always be read 
was from the prophet Jeremiah. And wouldn't you know, in Jeremiah 17, 13, it reads this. All who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be recorded in the underworld. That's how it reads in the Bibles in your pews. But another rendering is, and shall be written in the earth. Or another rendering is, shall be written in the dust. While some of the so-called experts in the law are trying to catch Jesus, Jesus takes their very own tradition, a passage that would have been on their minds because it would have been read to them at that very festival, and by getting on the ground and writing in the dust, signals to them that they are the ones who have turned away. Not just the woman, but they are the ones whose names are written in the dust because they have taken what was meant to bless the law and used it to shame in a way that Jesus sees as out of sync with the heart of the law. And so they leave humbled, if not ashamed. And there Jesus is left with the woman alone. And the positioning of them is not lost on me. Jesus is down riding in the dust. And the woman is said to stand before him. Now think about that. The scribes and the Pharisees wanted to put this woman down metaphorically and literally. They wanted to stone her to death. And instead, the Lord gets on his knee and bows before her. Think of the power of that moment. He's down, she's up. It reminds me of an interpretation that a pastor that Jerry actually worked with and I followed in my first church. Her name is Maria Stroop. And she would offer a retelling of this story that pointed out something that as a man I'd probably missed, this experience of a woman being held up in front of people and shamed uh, sexually or shamed for being a sexual being or for being seen as a sexual being and held up for all to look at. And in Jesus getting on the ground and riding, one of the things he accomplishes is he gets all the men's eyes off her. And if you know what it's like to be viewed that way, with those kinds of angry eyes, you can imagine the relief she must have felt when Jesus got their attention off of her. And while he's engaging them, presumably he's still looking down to spare her even his own eyes. And he says to her, uh, where are they? None of them are left, not one. Well, then neither do I condemn you, he says, finally looking at her. Francis Maloney, the commentator, points out that that's the first time you, that the woman is addressed as a person in the entire encounter. Because until then, she's been an object. An object of desire, an object lesson, 
a thing. Jesus addresses her as a being that can be related to as a human. And he honors her. And he still offers accountability. He says, don't, don't sin anymore. But he doesn't shame her. So much in that encounter. You've got transgression, effort to correct transgression, the temptation to layer that, uh, that response, that effort with retribution, with punishment, with shame. We have integrity being drawn into question, allyship, mercy, prophetic speaking, embodiment of the law, pulling the best out of something rather than finding a loophole for the worst. So much. We lost four elders that day when the towers came down. That's how the pastors started their retelling. I may have told it in here before, but you might hear it differently today. She was serving in the New York area, and one of the women in the church was having trouble accepting that her husband uh, was dead. So she called a hotline that had been set up for priests and rabbis and other religious leaders and said, what do I do? And they said, bring her down to the pile. They literally referred to it as the pile. So they drove down, and they got as close as they could to where there was a, a railing, and they just stood there. And uh, running her fingers through the dust on the rail, the woman said to the pastor, is this Bill? Bill, the name of her husband. And the pastor said, no, but he's here. He's here. And in that moment, it finally sunk in that, that he was gone. And so she turned to the pastor and said, uh, will you come and tell Billy, their young son? And the pastor said, I will, on one condition that you stay outside the room because he's going to need you. Even though you can't tell him, you need to be there. So she agreed, and the two women went to the home and found young Billy, and a woman who had baptized Billy as a baby, took him on her lap, and said, Billy, something really bad happened at your dad's work. And he looked up at her and, and said, I know, I, I think dad uh, died and went to be with God, but, uh, but mom thinks he's just lost. And the pastor was so taken aback by that astute observation of the child, said, I think so too. But what, but what makes you say that? And the child said, because my dad doesn't get lost. It's so hard not to get lost. When someone's transgressed or attacked or, or done something god-awful or, or hurt, and with all the smoke in the air, it's hard to draw the line between justice and revenge and wanting to make it right so bad and finding what is so wrong in the other and, and overlooking maybe what's misguided in the self and only lifting up the best of one's own while seeing the worst of another. All the dust is swirling around. It's just so hard to get lost. 
to not get lost. Jesus shows us what it looks like to get found, though. So while that story may not belong in the original Gospel of John, it belongs to us, doesn't it? Amen.
Let us pray. Gracious God, you are the most generous of all. All gifts flow from you. We give you thanks for all the grace we receive in this world. God, I praise the generosity of this congregation and ask that you would bless these gifts, that you would sanctify them through the work done by this church. So bless all who have given and bless the gifts to your service. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Many things to highlight today. There are always many things to highlight, but with so many of you here at the end gathering, I wanted to name a number of them. Uh, next week, we return to our usual schedule, so we will have an 8.30 service next week, like the good old days. Yeah, we have some people here who will appreciate that, I know. 8.30 is a more contemplative service, a little shorter, not that that would be appealing to anybody. Uh, as well as our 10 o'clock service. Uh, we'll continue to stream the 10 o'clock, so for those who are not able to be here, uh, we won't do away with that for sure. Uh, on the, the 19th, which also is next week, we'll begin one of the many events that we planned last year as we looked to sort of reemerge from the pandemic and reconnect and try to grow our relationships with one another. A little program we're calling Three Questions that I've stolen from my wife. Uh, where we just do some guided conversations with small groups about uh, any number of topics that help us get a little bit deeper and reflect and learn more about one another and grow. You can, we'll do three of these over the coming weeks, but you can come for one or two or three, it doesn't matter, and we'll gather at 11.30 after the service to do that. Um, I, Lisa Dini was going to be here today to speak about a very important opportunity uh, in the church that is mentioned in your bulletin, but she had something come up last second, and so she sends her regrets. But uh, I promised I would highlight it for her. It's called Understanding the Black Experience. Uh, we've had a number of people in the church extremely interested in addressing some of the racial strife we've seen over the past stretch of time, some of the inequalities, some of the, um, the violence and, and the struggle there and a number of people committed to that and out of a task force's efforts to try to figure out how as a church can we live into a more just and faithful world we will we were able to procure at no cost an incredible experience um, it's a cultural immersion program that will help us look at some of the complexities of the racial dynamics in our culture so there is a uh, contact Lisa, her email is right there. You can contact me to sign up. We've been given 50 slots and we still have some slots available. If you have any questions about that, follow up with her or follow up with me. We'd love to see you there. I know it doesn't fit everybody's schedule, but we'll do what we can to, to help you out. Um, two more. Uh, I have to, I should offer my apologies. We had some problems with our Zoom link last week or a confusion over two different Zoom leaks, uh, links. Last week when we had our Q&A with Dr. Chris Caldwell, who's an elder of this congregation, about COVID. And it was a rich discussion for those who were here uh, in person and for a couple of people who were able to join online. But a number of you were locked out, and I know that was frustrating, and so I apologize. But Chris, being ever gracious with his time, even in the midst of all he's committed to, has offered to do a makeup session tomorrow, uh, Zoom only, 5 o'clock, uh, should have been a, a, a Zoom link. Uh, it should be uh, on the website. If you have any trouble finding it, just write me directly, and I will send you the link. If you can't make it because of the time, and you have a question you desperately want asked, 
send it to me and I will see that it's asked. And as we did last time, we'll try to record the session so you can see your answer there. My apologies again for the confusion over that. Uh, finally, one of the challenges of this time has obviously been a, a decline in attendance, people unable for understandable reasons to participate as fully as before, yet about as many things or more need to happen at the church. Uh, so the volunteers that are able are really being stretched thin. Poor Sharon Terrell is gonna get her 10,000 steps in before 10 o'clock today between uh, setting up the camera and this live streaming and all the other stuff she does for worship commission. And there are others who have volunteered faithfully. If particularly you have a technical side to you and you would help us with some live streaming every week, that would be a huge help. Uh, or if you just have some time and some willingness to volunteer, we have a number of really key slots we need to fill. And I'd be more than happy to sit with you for half an hour, an hour, and just talk about what you like to do and what our needs are and see if we could make a match there. This church only happens if we make it happen together. Uh, are you telling me to stop or you want to say something? No. <laughs> he usually does that when I preach, so. Yeah, I will do that for sure. And I should just say my thanksgiving for all the effort went that has gone into the in-gathering and the preparation. Um, you're all invited. And if you're not comfortable yet eating with others, that's fine. Just come and meet somebody. Say hello to somebody, mingle a little bit. We'll be eating outside to make it a little safer. And I certainly, uh, at the benediction, will offer a grace for that meal. And it's good to celebrate being together after all this time and all this hardship. Finally, uh, because I've gone on long enough, please do look at this every week. I know sometimes you, you think you see the same things, so you just gloss over them. But maybe today's the day you see this and say, wait a minute, I'm going to Costco today. I'll pick up a huge box of diapers and change someone's life. Or I'll bring a meal for someone in need. So please look at that and uh, make sure you're getting your e-news on your email so you can see all the ways you can plug in to this beloved community. And with that, uh, let us rise in body or spirit for our closing hymn number 693.
After the postlude, you are invited to make your way uh, toward the table where uh, I see Mimi and Maria, I think, sitting, waiting uh, to the next room, or just follow the bacon smell. <laughs> and we do indeed ask God's blessing on this holy meal, that the food would be a blessing to us and the relationships formed would be an even greater one. And as you go from here to wherever you're going, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all in the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen.